Well, hello there. And thanks for dropping by the Marionette Theater. Tonight we're going to be taking a trip to the Old West. Where uh, folks are starting over in life and trying to figure out which direction they want to head. So find your seats. The show is about to begin. Why, hello there, Mr. Smelly. How are you this fine evening? Well, howdy, partner. We're going to have a good old time in the corral tonight. Uh, yeah, uh, or at least at Margarita's. <laughs> Maybe uh, get that uh, frozen drink machine going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, boys. Boys, before you again, I, I just got to tell you, I just got, I got to tell you, this is another movie I should have been cast in. I'm telling you right now, if that I, 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 I missed out. They should have come looking for me. I could have played the role for Divine. I, I could have played the role that, that Lady Kazan played. I mean, I could have done practically any damn role in this movie, including Tab Hunter's role. I'm just saying. Anyways, I'm pissed that I was not in this. This part, this movie was made with me in mind. I don't know what happened, but it was a tragedy. Anyways, okay, go ahead. Wasn't that no. that summer you were doing time in Reno? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Oh, well, Toppy, uh, you know, we are into the second month of the year, and I'm just surprised we've made it so far. It is a New York winter, and, you know, the closer we get to spring, the more we're getting reminded that it actually is winter. Um, I want to say a few days ago, we got darn near a foot dropped on us out here in uh, the east of Oslo's. <laughs> Three feet here. Wee! <laughs> I, I walked out just to see really how deep it was. And this was not a snow drift, but just plain, ordinary, level snow. I walked out and it was above my knees. So, we're, you know, we're talking about three feet. And... Uh, the most snow I've seen in quite some time. Mm, they'll be talking about it for years. Well, um, Miss Thing, Miss Gertie, the uh, the woman yeah. of mystery here, could you take your place on the stage for us? We've got some. I, I'm already here. Whenever you're ready, oh. God. Okay. Gee. Well, let's get this show on the road. Rosie is a girl who's risked it all to start over in a small town she's only ever heard of. Stranded in the desert, she meets up with a mysterious stranger at a watering hole. As the two reach town and get acquainted with the locals, they learn of a limerick that promises a fortune to the one who solves it. Will Rosie learn to make it in her new surroundings? Will the handsome stranger find what he's looking for? Well, hitch on those spurs and saddle up your trusty steed. It's time for Lust in the Dust. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of streaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Well, I want to start off by saying that this is a very special episode of Matinee Minutia. We've actually achieved our double quarter. That's right. We're in our 50s now. This is episode 51. And looking back, who would have thunk? But it's also special for another reason. This episode is dedicated to all the special moments that I have had and that I've introduced Toppy to in our uh, home away from home in Baltimore. 
Oh, yeah. So uh, tonight we're going to be discussing a film that um, features a Baltimore celebrity. Shall I go ahead and play that trailer? Let's hear it. The Old West has given us many legends of heroism, many tales of courage and valor. Now, thundering across the screen, comes the mightiest, most inspiring saga of all. Lust in the dust. The heroes and outlaws, the good girls and bad girls. Nice pair of jingle bobs. Thanks. They came to Chili Verde in search of treasure. <laughs> Tab Hunter is the stranger. No one knew the fury of his vengeance. No one cared. Lainey Kazan is Margarita. She liked her men like she liked her liquor. Hard and rotten. Henry Silver is Bernardo. <laughs> Jeffrey Lewis is Hard Case Williams. Not gonna hurt you! And Divine is Rosie Valles. Come and get it. These legs were made for wrapping around you so tight. Oh, lay every night. He rode the West. She rode the rest. Give it. Together, they ravaged the land. God, you're disgusting. Lust in the dust. All righty. And this... <laughs> and by the way, that... that uh, uh, that trailer kind of captures the vein of humor uh, that involves this whole movie. Um, and uh, there you go. Uh, lust in the dust. <laughs> now, this film came out in 1984. And, uh, well, let's just say I wasn't quite old enough to catch it when it was uh, first out in theaters. And uh, probably in those days... Most people maybe didn't see it until it was out on VHS. And well, <laughs> I can tell you, I don't remember it. Period at all. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> uh, I I I don't know if when you said we were doing Less in the Dust is the first time I ever even heard of it. <laughs> I think it, I think it may have been. <laughs> well, I will uh, give credit where credit is due here, and uh, this is actually a film that was brought to my attention by none other than my sweet husband, dear Billy. In fact, uh, it uh, came to our attention because uh, our dear friend Tommy, in, uh, in a past life, may have worked in a place that uh, had rentals, and uh, this is one of the movies that they would often play in that store. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, well, uh, Tommy is uh, Tommy Hashbrowns, our friend, is in the chat room, and he says uh, he loves this movie. <clears throat> Crone echoed that by saying, "Yay, John Waters!" And as long as we're mentioning it uh, in the chat room, because uh, you could be here live, folks. Uh, we do this live on Friday nights at 9 p.m., and you can show up and hear this live and be in our chat room and participate and talk with amongst the others in the chat room. It's a lot of fun. It's it's fun to do it that way. And tonight we've got a our Aunt Tudor. We've got Billy Starstage. Uh, that's uh, DJ's husband. We've got our pal. Jahami Hashbrowns, and we've got V Money seventy seven zero seven. Also, uh, listening as she drives, and you just keep your eyes on the road, Cronehaven. <laughs> listening as she drives is our dear friend, Cronehaven. So there you go. Uh, hey, next time, folks, why don't you join us live on a Friday night at nine p.m. Eastern Time. And you could just go to matinemanusha.com and look for that uh, blue kind of colored button that has the mask symbol on Discord. That's our chat room. And, uh, you know, Cronehaven, if you are out about driving while you're listening to us, uh, remember some wise words I once heard in a film. A lady always rides side saddle. <laughs> so... 1984. Uh, that's when this year came. Uh, this year. That's when this movie came out. 
Uh, DJ, what was going on in the U.S. of A. back in 1984? Set the stage for us. All righty. The United States in 1984. Back then, Ma Bell, also known as AT&T, which the long form is the American Telegram and Telegraph Company. Talk about going yeah. back to the Old West. It's he. <laughs> it was found to be a monopoly in 1984, and its divisions were all separated by federal court ruling. Uh, also in 84, Michael Jackson, the king of pop, uh, he won his eighth Grammy. Eight, not six or seven, eight. Also in 84, the USSR, Soviet Union, they boycotted the Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. And Miss Vanessa Williams, uh, that uh, can uh, you know tell you about all the colors of the wind, well, she became the first Miss America to resign. She had some naughty photos that showed up. Uh, and then uh, Catherine D. Sullivan was the first American woman to complete a spacewalk. And lastly, in 1984, uh, Ronald Reagan won re-election for more Somehow, years. some way. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Uh, and Mommy was really running the show with her... Uh, uh, astrologer. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if I was um, either Tab Hunter or his husband, uh, I I probably would have. Uh, oh, that's Alan Gla- Glazer, by the way. They're the ones that uh, thunk up. Uh, well, produced this movie. But if I was them, and there was time, and obviously there wasn't, but if I would have run right to Vanessa Williams. And I would have said, you've got to be in this movie. And I bet she would have said, yes. Uh, Vanessa Williams could have been one of of the girls in the uh, cantina. I think so. So, Toppy, there are a few celebrities that came into existence in 1984. They just uh, magically appeared from the stork. Who are some of those people? Well, you got your uh, Kate McKinnon. Uh, she's known from Saturday Night Live. You got your Mandy Moore. She's a singer-songwriter, not to mention actress. And uh, she uh, is a voice actress as well. Uh, she did, the, uh, for example, the voice of Rapunzel in Disney's Tangled. Uh, also, <clears throat> uh, America Ferrara. She's an ugly Betty. Is that really her name? It is. America Ferrara. All right. Uh, Also, uh, (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg, (laughs) that little rascal who runs Facebook, you know, the cabillionaire. Anyways, uh, also, Katy Perry, a singer actress. And finally, born that year in 84 was Scarlett Johansson, a popular actress these days. Is she Black Widow? Is she Black Widow? That's a good question. Some of our comic book nerds might know that in the chat room there. She's, I think she's someone in the Marvel Universe. Anyways, uh, so uh, there you go. Okay, well, in 1984, in theaters, because Lost in the Dust was a, a film... And uh, allegedly, yes, although I'm not so sure that it got a national release. Um, somebody who is more of a divine fan could possibly tell you. Aunt Tudor was uh, lost in the dust, a national release, but, anyways, uh, some of the top performers in the box office in 1984 were including a film that brought in 220 million that year. And I think that this was possibly the first VHS rental my folks had with one of their top-loading VCRs back in the day before Ah, remotes were wireless. I forgot about (laughs) top-loading VCRs. Ghostbusters was the top performer at the theaters that year. And uh, shortly on its heels was um, Mr. Uh, Oh, Jews... Jews... 
Um, the the uh, the heartthrob from the Star Wars film that played um, Han Solo. I'm trying to remember his name now. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Harrison Ford. Okay, yes, Harrison Ford's uh, big screen debut after Star Wars trilogy. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was number two in '84, brought in 179 million, and number three. It was one of my personal favorites. Some consider it a Christmas movie because it takes place during Christmas. Well, lots of little feisty and uh, scary critters. 148 million. Gremlins was number three at the box office that year. And sadly, Lost in the Dust, well... Oh, no. No secret, we, we do love our underdogs here. Um, it cost... Three million, which oh, is kind no. of a low budget for a film, yeah. and uh, apparently, after all the sales were tallied, it made less than a million. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> this may be the worst ever, DJ. This may be the worst ever performance of anything we've ever reviewed. It never even came close to making back its money. Mm. But don't you think it probably made up for it later on in VHS? It probably, DVD? you know, um, the the jury is still out on that one. I would say. <laughs> Yeah, uh, anyways, well, there you go. That's the truth. Lust of the dust never even came close to recouping. <laughs> I, I guess you could say that it has a cult following. Oh, I think so. I think so. So uh, we are all about the nostalgia here at the Marionette Theater because we were once a venue for many a splendored thing, including vaudeville and a magician's act. Now, the magician behind a film, the storyteller, that's the director. Um, Toppy, could you tell us a little bit about the man who made Lust in the Dust? Well, Paul Bartel uh, is the director. He's a New York City native. He began directing in the 70s. And I suppose uh, maybe his big break was uh, Cannonball. Uh, with uh, David Carradine. That was in 76. Lust was his sixth feature film. And he did the long shot after that. <laughs> that was a little known Tim Conway and Harvey Corman movie. Uh, he directed a, the latest thing he did was in the mid 90s, uh, uh, an episode of the Clueless television series. Um, but he also was an actor, and he was in a lot of just supporting roles and small roles in movies. Um, for example, Gremlins 2, he was an actor. He had a role. He was in Caddyshack 2. He was in an uh, episode of L.A. Law. He was in Joe's Apartment. He was in Escape from L.A. Um, and... Uh, Billy's Hollywood screamed kiss. Now, Paul Bartell. So he just seemed to be, he, uh, he loved doing oddball things. He really never wanted to do, how do you explain this? He was really happy doing avant-garde, uh, uh, projects that maybe weren't super popular, but seemed weird to him. And that's what he was attracted to. That's what he did. That's why he got involved and was uh, pulled by Tab Hunter and, um, and his husband to direct this movie because he was into it. And he loved this kind of stuff. For example, he liked he liked the John Waters movies. And he really thought that this was going to be a very a, a movie very much like a John Waters movie. And I think that's what everyone thought. Mm -hmm. um, so 
there you go. That's the director, Paul Bartel. Okay. Now, before we go on to talk about the producer who had a, a special part in this film, I'd like to uh, play a clip for you here. And this is Miss Lainey Kazan, who plays Marguerite, the proprietor of the bar or the cantina in this film. And uh, this is an interview she did with a show called Meet the Biz. And this is in much more recent years. So she's reflecting on being recruited to work in this film and working with Divine. I didn't even know who Divine was when they got, I got the movie. I, I had no ah. idea. And Tab Hunter had called me at my home. Right. Jennifer said to me, my daughter's Jennifer, she said to me, Mom, Tab Hunter's on the phone. I said, Tab Hunter? Now, you have to know, in the 50s and 60s, he was the biggest star that there was. Mm. Tab Hunter? So I pick up the phone. Hello, this is Tab Hunter. I said, yeah. He says, I, I have a movie I'd like to meet you about, and uh, can we have lunch at this restaurant called Butterfields? And we went, and uh, he gave me the script, and I laughed out loud when I read it, L laughed out loud. And so I said, I don't know if I want to do a movie with this woman, this is, or whatever she is, uh, man, woman. But I did take the film against my agent's blessing because they thought, hey, don't be outrageous, but I did. Because mm -hmm. I knew it would appeal to my, my audience. Right. And, um, Yes, so uh, Miss Lainey Kazan there, a little old-fashioned, as you could tell, and I do believe she's still with us. Um, she's done quite a bit in theater, more off-screen, of course, and um, she's a, a resident of Brooklyn. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You know, they don't say so. In fact, nowhere in my research did anybody say this, but one of the reasons she w was desired for the part is that she resembled divine in her makeup hmm. and in the storyline as it turns out and everyone learns is that they are half sisters mm -hmm. um and so the resemblance was was desired and uh, uh she was very big busted and and um and the two, the divine, and 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 she, uh, Lainey Kazan resembled each other, and that that went into it. And I'm sure that that's partly behind um, Tab Hunter's choice in in getting her, mm -hmm. wanting her. So this film, Lost in the Dust, was actually. Um a very special film for Tab Hunter, although he had worked with John Waters, the the original intended uh, director of this film. Um, this was actually the first film that Tab Hunter dipped his toes in for a producer role. In fact, he co-conspired, so to speak, with his uh, love interest, Alan Glazer, who was later his husband in uh, his years before passing. So, uh, Mr. Alan Glazer was the, one of the producers of this film, and uh, he was a long-term partner of Tab Hunter. They met in 83, the year before this film. They were together for 35-plus years and married in 2013 before Tab Hunter's passing. Uh, in uh, all of his roles that uh, Alan has filled, he was employed by 20th Century Fox Television and worked on such shows as MASH, also Trapper John, and one of my favorites of the 80s with the, all the uh, big hair and shoulder pads and cat fights dynasty was part of Alan Glazer's resume. <laughs> yes, indeedy. Now, uh, when Tab Hunter and Glazer formed their own production company, do you remember what it was called? It had something. It was, I think it had Fox in the. Yeah, I think it the, was Fox Hunter. Okay, I think you're right. Yeah, um, and we shouldn't gloss over the fact that Hunt, uh, Tab Hunter and Alan Glazer wanted very much for John Waters to direct this. Mm -hmm. um, they, in fact, they were sure he was going to be interested. They were sure he was going to want to do it. 
after all, his longtime collaborator Divine was signed to do it. And uh, Tab Hunter had been uh, sort of plucked out of obscurity by John Waters himself for polyester. And they just assumed John Waters would love to do it. And John Waters didn't want to do it. <laughs> and it was primarily because John Waters liked to do stuff that he wrote. And he did not write this movie. Someone else did. So that was the main reason. He just, if it wasn't his work, he just wasn't interested. And, and I, so he just, he declined. And I can understand that. I mean, if I'm writing the checks, <laughs> uh, I want to be sure I know the kitchen staff. <laughs> yeah. So instead, they picked up Paul Bartel, who, like we have already pointed out, was involved in kind of underground features, um, not unlike John Waters. So here we come to the crux of the film. We've introduced you to a little bit of the talent behind it, and we'll go into more depth in our second half. But uh, here's where we talk about the, the chemistry and the camaraderie. Now, this was the first time that I'd ever seen this movie. As I mentioned, my husband introduced me to it, and I did watch it a couple of times. I certainly did pick up on more things a second time. But I, I found it interesting that some of my instincts were spot on from my first uh, impression there. In fact, I remember watching some of the scenes where uh, Rosie was meeting up with Marguerite for the first time, thinking to myself, it looks like they've hired a double because, you know, their their hair is similar their outfits are similar, and uh, I will reveal more toward the end here. Uh, you know how they they reveal that, but uh, Toppy, how did you feel about this movie? Um, you know, uh, I I know that uh, this has certainly got a familiar feel to it. It's it's basically a spoof on spaghetti westerns. Yeah. I knew nothing about it, nothing whatsoever. I knew nothing what to expect. I went in completely blind and tried to figure out what was going on <laughs> as it uh, as it started. And I, uh, the a print I had was a really suck ass print, <laughs> I have to say. Mm. Um, but there you go. Uh, I have no idea if it's ever been. Uh, if a, if a better print is, is or if this, where this is available. Um, but at any rate, the uh, opening credits have these gigantic red uh, letters, uh, the typeface. And uh, I thought, okay, uh, at the time, uh, or previous to that, a lot of Westerns use that exact same look. Um, with the red letters, I, I I can't. I just I just know that that was a common thing because the letters really stood out against the western backdrop. And I said, okay, yeah, we're we're doing a spoof of westerns. And then as soon as I saw Ted Hunter, I said, oh, we're not just doing westerns. We're we're doing Clint Eastwood. <laughs> uh, he's the spitting image, really, of, of Clint Eastwood. His costume is right out of a Clint Eastwood movie. His mannerisms, you know, he doesn't say any words for the first 20 minutes of the movie. <clears throat> and, uh, oh, okay, yeah, we're spoofing Clint Eastwood movies. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, with the presence of Divine, who is in the entire movie right from the very beginning when she falls off her mule. Um, <laughs> and, and then, and then follow, uh, follows Tab Hunter to their destination. This little, barely, a, I mean, it's almost a ghost town. Um, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. And the humor was broad. Uh, some slapsticks. Uh, there's. I'm trying to think of the last. Uh, the. Do you remember the first thing that made you laugh out loud? Oh. 
I'm trying to remember what made me, and it was towards the beginning. Oh, my goodness. Well, the thing that I laughed at first was when she fell off the mule, and then that big, uh, basically, canteen under the the mule spills open. It, it's, it's an old-fashioned animal bladder that they would have used in the Old West for carrying water. But as it spills out... The way that it does it is very suggestive. It looks like the the mule is is relieving itself. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and then she shouts out, "My gin!" Yeah, <laughs> I'm dying of thirst. My gin. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was there. There's a whole lot of moments uh, uh, of pretty broad humor, but some of it really did. Not some of it. Hell, a lot of it made me laugh out loud. <laughs> and I think that one of the things that I enjoyed most about this film is that it had a, you know, a, a um, full complement of character actors. I mean, I, obviously, I couldn't give you their names until I researched the film, but... I see people and I'm like, oh, that's the sweet old lady that was on different strokes. She was the housekeeper. Right. <laughs> and then and then the um the you know, the preacher's son that's uh, one of the outlaws, I'm like, Oh, I remember seeing him on guest appearances on Three's Company. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one main villain uh that uh survives to the end of the movie I don't know. For whatever reason, the thing I remember most from is he was in um, that Stephen King TV movie about the vampires, Salem's Lot. Oh. I, I don't know. For whatever reason, I mean, he's been in a million different things, but for whatever reason, that's what I most remember him for. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say the plot is convoluted, but it takes a while for it to sort of like, okay, you know, what's going on? And eventually we learn that in this town, there's buried treasure. And and everyone who's there seems to know about it. And it, apparently everybody who's there is there because they want to find that damn gold. And all they have is a limerick uh, that I, I thought was going to be really dirty, but it, it wasn't <laughs> really. Uh, but it has clues in it that nobody can bust. And, and then eventually we slowly find out that uh, Divine's character and uh, Lainey Kazan's character have half of a map each on their own buttocks. And if you put their <laughs> butts together, you get the full map. Now, my print was so crappy <laughs> that at the very beginning of the movie, when Divine finds that, uh, po- that uh, uh, pond and she takes off her clothes to go swimming, apparently there's a big close-up of the damn map on her butt. But my the print was so bad that all I saw was her butt. And so, it I mean, I never knew about the map on her butt till like halfway through. Yeah. Anyways. I'm not yeah. so sure that there is a much better quality copy because I've watched it from two different sources. And it was a little bit like having my glasses on versus not. But I'm I'm only slightly nearsighted, so I don't know what that says. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Anyways, so yeah, they all want uh, this um, money, and Tab Hunter plays a drifter, a la Clint Eastwood, and he doesn't know anything about the treasure except he starts learning about it, and then he becomes interested in it. And he learns it primarily through Caesar Romero, who plays. Uh, a, a Catholic uh, a priest uh, in the town. And he becomes interested in, in basically everyone wants that treasure, including Divine, who also didn't know anything about it. But when, again, once she learns, uh, she wants to find that damn treasure. And, and the rest of the movie becomes everybody trying to get that treasure. Hmm. So we are at about our halfway point in the show. 
We're gonna step on out here to the snack bar where Gertie will be serving us up some tacos in uh, the spirit of tonight's film. You got some guacamole to go with that, miss? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, folks, so uh, we are gonna have a short little break here, a little over three minutes. And this is a, um, a radio appearance that Tab Hunter did a few years back on a, a Minnesota radio station. And the show is called The Five Counties, talking about his recently released authorized biography, Tab Hunter Confidential. Well, I want to ask you first about the new documentary that's coming out, Tab Hunter Confidential. Can you tell the listeners a bit about that? You bet. Um, I did a book a few years ago called Tab Hunter Confidential, which was really difficult for me to, to do, but I, I figured, you know, I heard somebody else was going to be doing it, and I thought, no, 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 I'm not dead where somebody can then write all kinds of garbage about you that they want and put a spit on your life. So we did that, and then a few years ago, Alan said, I want to do the documentary where we can show people what it was like in Hollywood back in the days of the studio contracts and what your journey has been like, and I thought... Oh, all right, let's do it. And uh, uh, he did this wonderful documentary that has been really well received, and I've been very, very excited about it and uh, very thankful. i got to ask you about your uh, memories of working with Divine and uh, John Waters. We've had John on the show before, and I, I, love, the, I love your work in polyester and, you know, of course, the lust in the dust afterwards. Well, I love John. You know, he's like your friendly undertaker. He's a great guy. He called me. I was doing a play years ago in Indianapolis, and he called up and said, my name is John Waters. I don't know if you know me. Uh, I said, yeah, I'm a major fan of yours. Are you kidding? I love Mundo Trasho and Pink Flamingos. And he said, well, I've got a script I'd like you to do if you have the time. And I said, send it to me. He did. I had two weeks off from the theater. I read it. And but on the phone, he said to me, but boy, before we go any further, how would you feel about kissing a 350 pound transvestite? <laughs> and I thought I said, well, I've kissed a hell of a lot worse, I'm sure. <laughs> John was great. And working with Divine, I, I do have to smile and say he's one of my favorite leading ladies. Put him right up there with Sophia Loren, Natalie Wood, you know, Debbie Reynolds, a whole bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. And Tab, I, I got to say, you are probably one of the few people who not only had a successful um, movie career, but you had hit singles out as well. I want to ask, you know, how that came about? Is that something you always wanted to do, kind of uh, both sides of the coin? Well, I used to sing in the choir, uh, you know, church, and uh, I used to sing in the shower. Now, we all sound good in the shower with all that, uh, the acoustical sound, you know, and all the... But um, I was doing a tour with Natalie Wood for a film we did called The Burning Hills, Best thing in it was my horse. And uh, we were in Chicago, and there was a DJ there, um, Howard Miller, and he was huge. And he heard me, you know, I was just singing, and he said, did you ever think of recording? And I said, oh, I'd love to do that sometime. He said, let me talk to Randy Wood at Dot Records. He called up Randy. Randy called me when I got home. He presented me with Young Love. He heard me sing, and he said, I'd like you to record this. I recorded it on a Friday Monday morning, I was driving down Sunset Boulevard, heard it coming out of the car radio, and almost had a palm tree. I was so excited. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh, it knocked Elvis out of the number one slot, stayed wow. there for well over six weeks, and I started recording for Dot. Well, Jack Warner, who I was under contract to at Warner Brothers, called me in. He said, wait a minute, we own you for everything. I said, but, Mr. Warner, you don't have a recording company. He looked at me, and he said, well, we do now, and they started Warner Brothers Records. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? When you stop to think of your Warner Brothers records today, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, I did not know that. That's incredible that that's how that all started. I still think that's incredible, too. <laughs> okay, and we are back. <clears throat> so, for someone who, who became so forgotten, really, Tab Hunter had like some number one songs, some number one movies, all at the same time. He really was uh, uh, on the top of people's minds for a fairly brief period. And just so you know, this is one of those tragic Hollywood stories. Uh, the press caught on to the fact 
that even though Tab Hunter tried as hard as he could to hide it, they knew he was gay and they wanted to out him. And they also very, very much wanted to out uh, uh, Hudson, Rock Hudson. They wanted to out him. And the studio said, damn it, don't you you dare ruin Rock Hudson's career. We're going to give you Tab Hunter, okay? Uh, Go do what you want with Tab Hunter, but leave Rock Hudson alone. And the press agreed, and they went after Tab Hunter, and Tab Hunter's career went down the toilet. And he never recovered. He was uh, bitterly defeated. Uh, just so that they could save Rock Hudson. And uh, that was tough. That was really tough for him. And the, the nice side of the story is that his, the love of his life were horses and the care of horses and riding and having a ranch. And he basically devoted the rest of his life to his animals and he was happy, and he did find love, and he uh, had a long-time relationship with Alan Glazer, uh, even though they were only uh, really married for a very short period of time. But they were together for years, and he did have this kind of comeback that this movie tonight was part of, and there were other movies and some TV where he kind of had this little bit of a, a, hey, you know that Tab Hunter, remember him? Well, he's kind of groovy. And so kind of a a happy ending to a tragic story. Hmm. So the the leading lady, for lack of a better term, in this film was none other than Javine. And that was, of course, her, her, his... um, Professional name is born uh, Harris Glenn Milstead. And uh, Divine. And DJ, mm-hmm. you and me and your hubby Billy, um, we, when we were in Baltimore, stood right at his graveside, grave site in that cemetery. We found his grave uh, site. We sure did. And so uh, that was sort of the. Uh, official indoctrination of Mr. Toppy Smelly in the culture of Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. And uh, even to this day, people are still paying their respects. Um, people leave uh, tubes of lipstick, of nail polish, and of course, uh, you know, in just perhaps uh, cigarette butts, they can still be seen at Divine's grave, which is under his... Uh, birth name of Glenn Milstead he's buried with his grandmother. Now Divine was a Baltimore native and a close friend of filmmaker John Waters. Lost in the Dust was his seventh feature film. Divine was often miscredited as as transvestite as of course she heard uh, Lainey Kazan say that she was a crossdresser. One's a lifestyle another is a uh, performance. Divine only dressed in drag during performances, in film, at events, and at clubs. At least seven of Divine's 13 acting credits were in John Waters' films. And uh, sadly, Divine uh, passed away the night before he was scheduled to appear in the second season finale of Fox's Married with Children and uh, he passed away in his sleep at the tender age of 42. And I, I believe it wasn't... I, I, I understood that uh, he was going to be a reoccurring character. Yeah, he was written in to be the odd uncle. Yeah, okay. He was interested in being an actor. And if he acted, uh, you know, certainly he had great success with his character as divine. And that's what he thought of divine as a character that, uh, he did. And, but he was interested in serious acting and, 
that's kind of his tragic part is is that uh, he could have uh, parlayed that recurring role on Married with Children into more things, but it, he never had the chance chance hmm. now there is a, another uh, fabulous lady in the cast toppy the barkeep uh, marguerite tell us about that actress if you will <laughs> i think the wonderful thing is she was barbara streisand's understudy <laughs> in 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 funny girl back in 68 um she also appeared in a 1970 issue of playboy magazine because she was busty she was a busty gal uh, she was named as the Queen of Brooklyn in 97 at the Welcome Back to Brooklyn Festival. Now, Lust in the Dust was her sixth feature film, and she would uh, go on to appear in six more films over the next five years. Uh, oh, now, isn't it, all through the damn movie, I kept thinking, why didn't they get Bette Midler to do this role? <laughs> Uh, especially when she was singing. She recalls Bette Midler quite a bit. Uh, and uh, um, we learn here that uh, uh, that despite being cast as Bette Midler's character, character's mother in Beaches, if you remember this, she plays uh, the mother of Bette Midler, uh, Midler's uh, character, uh, but she was really only five years older than Midler. Um, and I think she had this I think maybe what she's best well known for now is she had this wonderful role in that wonderful movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Hmm. Well, uh, the next member of the cast of the most notables is the priest. And of course, Tab Hunter's character, the handsome stranger, goes to confession and we meet him for the first time in this film. It's Mr. Caesar Romero. Now, Caesar is a was a was a New York native. He first began acting way back in the '30s because uh, he was an older gentleman when he appeared in this film. He had appeared in dozens of films prior to *Lust in the Dust*, and his last film role prior had been some seven years earlier, a film called *Mission to Glory* in '77 with Ricardo Montalban. Cesar Romero had done quite a bit in television more often, and uh, he was often associated with his iconic appearances in the 66 Batman series as the Joker, and he had yes. 22 appearances in that role. I had no idea it was that many, and Tommy Hashbrown's in the chat room revealed that Cesar Romero's Joker is his Joker uh, bar. And uh, uh, so that's uh, that's from Tommy Hashbrown's folks. And I have to admit, uh, you know, he uh, Caesar Romero is my first Joker, and uh, he 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 is the Joker. So there. <laughs> Before turning to mainly TV roles by the eighties, in the seventies, Caesar Romero had been a Disney actor for a spell, and he appeared in a couple of films with Kurt Russell. And by the time of Mr. Romero's passing in 94, he had a celebrated achievement of over 200 acting credits. <laughs> yeah, he had a long career. A long career. Uh, I have to say that uh, Cesar Romero, uh, Tammy Hash uh, Tommy Hashbrown's again says Cesar Romero was an excellent actor. And in Less of the Dust, I mean, he does kind of shine because... Uh, as the priest, he, he, he's he's one of those actors that he, he's just a natural. He doesn't seem to be acting uh, like Spencer Tracy or um, other famous actors. He doesn't. He, he's he's there and he's convincing. And you know, God love Tab Hunter, but he is the worst actor in this damn movie. I swear to God. He is terrible. As far as an actor goes, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if what we see in uh movie Lust in the Dust, if if that's the best he could do in any movie he ever appeared in, but I mean, 
I'm sorry, Tab, hmm. but uh, yeah, he doesn't compare to um, the work that Cesar Romero did in the same movie, and he didn't really need to. For this, he didn't need to be a great actor to be successful as this Clint Eastwood character in Lust of the Dust. You know, I find funny is that um, you know, in in some interviews with Tab Hunter, the discussion is brought up of um you know did you find it difficult to play in parts where you were supposed to be attracted to a woman you know as a gay man and of course the natural response is well it's it's acting but there are times in lust of the dust where you you have to wonder what is acting and what's not because there is a scene where the handsome stranger and uh for those who haven't seen this film yet any film that is likened to Divine and John Waters, although he didn't direct this, um, is suggestive. His character is Abel Wood. Now, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's really pushed to the beginning because someone gets a look at his uh, package when he's in the shower, and and apparently, uh, you know. Now, it's, it's, it's there. It's, it's, it's bigger than life. And it's implied or suggested that he and Marguerite got it on in the shower. But of course, uh, he's playing the part of a gentleman too well because he won't elaborate. So did it or didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, th- I thought that the funny, uh, one of the funny moments in the movie is as the camera pans down of uh, uh, we see them kissing and the camera pans down and we're looking through the wood slats and then we get to um, uh, Tab Hunter in his boots and there are no feet for the woman and it's left to your imagination where her feet, <laughs> where her legs are. <laughs> so that, that, was a, that was a laugh out loud moment for me. Oh, but then of course there's... Uh... Anytime uh, someone seeks to pleasure Miss Rose, uh, you know, um, Divine's character, what, what what do they get for their troubles, Toppy? Uh, I'm not sure. Go, go ahead. Explain. Well, uh, let's just put this in the Old West terms, since uh, Lust in the Dust is a comedy Western. Anytime someone tries to go south of the border with the... Uh, Rosie D- Divine's oh, character. Yeah. <laughs> she has a deadly leg lock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm so glad that the, the little person that she, you know, I thought killed at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. he shows up later and he's still alive. Of course, then he gets shot dead again. But anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, that was that was kind of funny. And it's probably a good thing that um, that Tab Hunter's character and Divine uh, never actually consummate their relationship in the movie because <laughs> that might have been the end of him. I don't know. Right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what I did kind of like? Uh, it was almost sweet. Almost. Mm-hmm. But the one person... The one character that the mysterious stranger Tab Hunter likes right away is the old woman. <laughs> Straight through to the end of the movie. I thought that was so charming because, you know, here Marguerite, played by Lainey Kazan, is sidling up to him at the bar thinking she's got it made. And uh, he's more interested in being nicer, to, nice to the old lady. Yeah, uh, I mean, she respects her. I don't know. We don't know why, but 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 he loves this old lady. Yeah, he he treats her very much like you know she could be his mother or his grandmother. Yeah, very respectful. But I will. Ha- I I I do have to say though, all the moments that were unexpected in the movie when they have the fight in the cantina and. Marguerite gets out her lasso. I did not expect her to flip the old lady over. Oh, she was terrible to the old lady. She was terrible. 
She was trying to get information from her, and she was just terrible to her. (laughs) (laughs) You know, right even in the first cantina scene, she actually insults the older woman. She's like, honey, this one's mine. You wait till the blind guys show up, and they're all yours. Oh, lordy. (laughs) Yeah. um, uh, Yeah, that cat fight. um, It was funny. Um, I I didn't think they. I th- I thought they could have like been even more slapstick and crazy with it, mm-hmm. but they didn't. They didn't seem interested in going there. I'm I'm not sure why, but I guess it was good enough. It it was it was pretty funny. Yeah, the the most ridiculous part, and I guess this is what uh, sort of made it slapstick, was when Divine kept picking up things to hit Marguerite over the head with. <laughs> but uh, a couple other things i'll mention here before we wrap things up because we are getting towards the end of our hour um you know there's a a couple of things that just were kind of um you know by the ways afterthoughts and then i realized seeing it again how silly some of the details were like did you catch the name of the young woman in the cantina that, um, well, you know, it's no secret that these were all, um, prostitutes basically, but did you catch the name of the young lady? You know, I did at the time, but I can't remember, oh. but I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember remarking, okay, that's funny. Yeah, it was Nympha. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah. And then the only other thing that I'll mention is, um, Knowing that uh, that we both enjoy Southwestern food, aka Mexican food, um, y- you have a little bit of knowledge of you know what this or that dish is called. Now, w- the name of the town in Lost in the Dust is Chili Verde, and uh, what what does that make you think of, Toppy? Well, uh, I wondered myself. Uh, I mean. Chili, uh, uh, isn't it cheese and beans? I, I'm not sure. I, You're I really going in the know. right direction. Um, verde is a Spanish word for green. So okay. so quite literally, chili verde is green chili, which is funny if you ever eat Mexican food, because green chili is basically a garnish. It would be basically like naming a, an American town ketchup. Okay. Okay. That was above my head. That was above my head. That's, that, that is funny. Ah. So, okay. We are going to walk out here to the lobby and uh, I think I had oh, some just, music. Just before we do that, mm-hmm. speculate for me. Uh, there had been some really successful Western parodies. This was not one of them. <laughs> Why? Uh, uh, I, I'm just wondering why it wasn't more successful. And I guess it was perhaps the inclusion of Divine, and it was just too much. Uh, I, I guess. I, I, it was genuinely funny, and I'm just a little surprised why. And I just wonder what you thought, like, why it didn't do better. Well, um, I have to wonder also, I mean, uh, Lainey Kazan was definitely in the, you know, the upward trend of her career at the time. So possibly she was their attempt at uh, gaining, you know, a, a more current audience, maybe a younger audience. And Tab Hunter, of course might be the par- for the parents of the kids that are going to the movie. But uh, sometimes I place the blame on um, the advertising and the promotionals and the release. I'm looking at the details, and it looks like Lost in the Dust was released in the beginning of March. And I'm just thinking, well, that's not a Christmas movie, and that's not a summer movie. Who in the world is going to the movies in March? I think the other problem is that it really wanted to be an underground movie from the beginning. It wanted to have a cult feel from the beginning, you know, right from getting Divine in there. You, You don't do that 
if if you're not making something a little counterculture, a little weird, mm-hmm. and uh, and yet maybe because it didn't have, you know, John Waters was like the expert on uh, good, what he called good bad taste, and he distinguished his movies and things that he liked as good bad taste as opposed to bad bad taste this movie i think tried to be like that and maybe didn't go far enough or it it didn't it wasn't daring enough to be really effed up hmm. i mean it was effed up mm-hmm. but they could have made it even more and they didn't seem to want to go there and and so you know i i, I just don't think it found an audience uh, either way um it just it, it, critics basically teared it apart i mean they they you know it they they hated it yeah uh, i'm convinced that unless it's a blockbuster film uh in this period of time Siskel and Ebert hated most movies that weren't top performers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, By the way, that uh, the character of Red Dick, yes. um, I, I I don't know who that actor was, or I'm sure he was in other things. All I could think of was, my God, it's... Uh, 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 oh, Jesus, I lost the name. The old old time uh, Hollywood actor who would appear with Judy Garland. Oh, um, Andy Rooney. Thank you. <laughs> I thought that God, oh my God, it's Andy Rooney. <laughs> magically young again. Didn't he? I mean, really anyways. Okay. I guess, I guess we better wrap this up. Sure. So uh, just a couple of quick things I was going to mention in my researching this film that you might find interesting is, uh, one of the p- actresses. Wait, that, wait a minute. Uh-huh. I, did we just say Andy Rooney? Did I? I said Andy Rooney about ten times, but it's Mickey Rooney. Oh, sorry. <laughs> ah, Andy Rooney, <laughs> totally different. Never mind. Gertie, feel free to bring out that frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god, the the role of Marguerite, uh, as played by Lainey Kazan, of course was considered by several other actresses, including Edith Massey, who uh, had been in several John Waters films, including uh, a film I'm going to recommend. But uh, she passed away before the film actually started uh, production. And uh, the other actress that was considered for the part of Marguerite was Shelley Winters. And uh, uh, she would have been pretty terrific. Yeah, and uh, let's see here. Oh, the I, other. I bet. They, I, bet she, I bet if they ever did contact her, she must have said, "Are you fucking nuts? Get off the line." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the other uh, interesting factoid I read was that apparently half of the investors for this movie weren't aware that Divine was a man. Die. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we are going to go ahead and figure out what's coming up next. Will you hand me that bag of coins there, sir? All righty, here you go. Okay, and uh, if you'll do us the honors there, Toppy, could you go ahead and uh, open up that capsule and read us what we've got? Well, next time, folks, uh, it's going to be a special exclusive for uh, the virtual upcoming Farpoint Convention on Saturday, February 21st. We're going to do it live at a different time, but we're going to do it in the morning, 11 a.m. on Saturday, February 21st, and we're going to do... Ah, uh, I'll tell you what. This is one of my favorite movies ever, 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 ever. Harold and Maud. Harold and Maud is about a young, rich, and obsessed with death uh, 
a guy named Harold who finds himself changed forever when he meets the lively septuagenarian Maud, a.k.a. Uh, Ruth Daniels. No, God damn it. What's her name? <laughs> Ruth Gordon. Thank you. Ruth Gordon. Also who plays Maud. And, and they meet at a funeral. And it is my... Oh, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I saw this movie on the big screen. I'll, I'll never forget how I felt. Because I felt like an oddball, an outsider, a weirdo. And this movie celebrated oddballs and weirdos. Hmm. And it was my introduction to the uh, body of work of Miss Ruth Gordon, who's actually a, a, a well-known theater actress. But uh, in her later years, she sort of got out of retirement to play everybody's favorite older lady who would swear for the camera. <laughs> yeah. She, she made some buck. You know, doing that. She was famously in um, Rosemary's Baby, but in in many other things. Uh, she uh, anyway, she got she got some good paychecks out of being the bitchy, funny old lady. Uh, but she was a she had a long acting career, and and you can see her back in the thirties and forties on the screen, also. Um, you know, you'd, you'd like, oh, my God, is that really Ruth Gordon? Oh, my God, it is. And she looked, you know, there she is all those years ago. Um, anyways, also famously with Bud Court, um, who could be weirder than the actor Bud Court, <laughs> who played Harold in Harold and Maude. Oh, I love that movie. And uh, remember, folks, this is a free event. Even though it is for a convention, we'd like to invite you to participate in the virtual edition of Farpoint. It's a mid-Atlantic sci-fi extravaganza. It's uh, found a home in the Baltimore area, but you can go to farpointcon.com to find out more details. Toppy. Who did we have in the chat room as you look over the balcony tonight? We'd like to thank uh, Aunt Tudor. We'd like to thank Billy Starsage. We'd like to thank Cronehaven. We'd like to thank Marg... I always have a problem with this. Margaret Gertz and our pal Tommy Hashbrunks. Everybody, thank you so much, guys, uh, for being here and supporting us as we do this live. It wouldn't be the same without y'all. And what did that famous couple say on the radio when they said goodnight? Goodnight, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Oliver. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.